This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Join Jessica Smith on Lee Like a Girl podcast, where she defies odds shares inspiring stories, and empowers women to embrace their inner leaders. Tune in for a transformative journey. Now, this is the summer of 1988, and we're thinking school's going to start back, and we are not going back to Chicago. That's for sure. Pauline was happy. We were happy. My dad was really happy that he had his kids back home. That's it. We're here. We're home. We're not going back to Chicago. So one summer day, I remember my dad was working outside and he had a worker. I can't remember if they were building out for a pool or basketball court, something they were doing outside. And he was leaving to run an errand afterwards. And I remember my little sister ran behind him to go with him. And my mom caught her right at the door. Where are you going? Your hair's all over your head. You don't have any clothes on. And my dad said, I'm just coming right back. I'm running over here. She's good. And she starts walking out the door. My mom said, no, she's not going nowhere. Get back in here. Her errand comb. She ain't going nowhere. So she screamed and cried, daddy, for about 30 minutes. My dad leaves. Hour goes by. Two hours goes by. My mom keeps coming out. Your dad here yet? No, no. Now, by this time, it's 10 o'clock at night. Someone's knocking on the door. And my older sister, I remembered, she answered the door and it was the sheriff. And we all heard him say, is your mom home? And we all looked at each other. Oh, man, the house about to get raided again. My mom comes to the door and he says, your husband has been in a car accident and we need you to come to the hospital right away. My mom says, is he okay? What happened? Ma'am, we just need you to come to the hospital right away. So my mom calls, my aunt and uncle live right down the street. She calls my aunt. She's screaming, crying. How I got in the car, I don't even remember. The next thing I remember is being in the hospital, sitting down in the chapel, and my mom and my aunt in the hallway just screaming and crying. And I don't remember them actually being told anything. So somewhere I missed it, but I do remember hearing the nurse say, we're going to ask you to 
identify his body. And that room in which he was in was right next to the room that I was in the chapel. So I'm sitting there by myself and I just hear my mom just screaming. So I assumed that she was identifying his body in the room right next door. My aunt's crying, my mom's crying. And I don't remember actually crying there in that moment. I knew what was going on, of course. I knew my dad was dead, but I didn't cry because I felt like I had to be strong for my mom because I don't know what she's, I don't know what she's thinking. I don't know what she's going to do. So it was about a 30 minute drive home. It was quiet. No one was saying anything. No one was crying. We get back to my aunt's house and my brother is just sitting on his bike on the front porch. And when we got out the car, he just runs up to the car and is like, where's daddy? Where's daddy? My mom's not saying anything. My aunt's not saying anything. I'm looking at them like, is someone going to tell this kid? And he keeps asking, where's my dad? Where's my dad? And so I looked at him and I said, he's dead. And he was like, what? He's what? And I said, he's dead. He was in a car accident and he's dead. My mom and my aunt, they're still walking in. They're ignoring him. And he just jumped on his bike. Now, this road that they lived on is just black. There's no, there's one light in their front yard. It's woods. You can't see, you can't even see your hand in front of your face hardly. And I just remember watching my brother get on his bike and just ride down this black road. I'm looking at my mom. I'm looking at my aunt. Is anybody going to say anything? This kid is just riding into the dark. And I remember he left. I can't even tell you when he came home. We sat there for a while. We had to tell my uncle. We went home. We walked in the door. My other brother, my sister, everybody's, where's daddy? Where's daddy? And again, nobody's saying anything. And I'm still not crying. And I'm like, he's dead. They're like, what do you mean he's dead? He got in a car accident. He died. And my mom just walked into the room, closed her door. My sister's crying. My older brother's crying. They're asking me questions. I have no idea what, I don't have any more answers other than he's dead. And I just felt like I couldn't cry. I couldn't cry because Everybody around me was crying, and I felt like somebody had to not cry. Someone had to be strong. And I just remember falling asleep just to my mom, just screaming at the top of her lungs pretty much all night long. Now, my little sister and brother at this time are one and two years old. And, of course, the next day, I remember my mom just holding my little sister because she was supposed to be with him. She left twice out that door to go with him and she didn't let her go. But it was, I don't even remember how many days later, my older sisters came from Chicago. 
we're planning this funeral. My mom doesn't know what she's doing. She's young. She's just trying to keep it together. She's been with this man since she was 17, 18 years old. She really doesn't know life without him. And now he's gone. And she's left with these five kids and his soon-to-be 18-year-old son in this house in the middle of nowhere in Eddyville, Kentucky. What is she going to do? So my older sisters were there, and of course, with my dad being this drug dealer, a lot of money, different people had his money. Our house was in my uncle's name. He had 15, 20 cars in different people's name, properties in Chicago. It was a mess. It was a mess. And I just remember people just fighting and arguing over money, over houses. And my mom was not legally married to him. So that left her with nothing. Now, she stayed there in the house after his funeral. I remember we went to Alabama to bury him. And his funeral was like a famous person. There were so many people there. I just remember thinking, wow, I didn't even know this many people knew my dad. And when we got back to Kentucky, it was just a weird time. My mom was in a really dark place. Of course, she. The drinking was out of control. I don't even recall if she started the drugs right away or if it was after a period of time. But eventually she decided that she could not stay in that home any longer. She said everything reminded her of my dad and she just could not make it through one day without crying. Now, as my brothers and sisters and I, we would sit down and discuss my mom together all the time. My brother was so angry. He was already a troubled kid, got in trouble in school, fighting. Just He was the kid who just got his butt whooped every day, all day, and just never learned. But He was in a whole nother place. And I just remember from that day feeling I was responsible for him. I don't know out of everyone why I just felt that this kid's not going to make it. He's not going to live to be 18 if I don't look out for him. He's two years older than me. So we eventually left the house in Kentucky and went back to Chicago once again. My mom left the house to my brother since he was soon to be 18. 
and she sold all of the cars and anything that she could sell to get money, but left the house and the furniture and everything else with my brother. Now, remember, he still has a case. This isn't too far after the house is raided. He's about to turn 18 and he's got a case for all of the marijuana they found growing in the backyard. So the lawyers told my mom that the best bet is for my brother to just say everything was my dad's and he knew nothing about it. Now, the truth of the matter is, I'm sure he did know about it and it was something that they did together. Believe it or not, even though this kid wasn't even 18, it was pretty normal for my dad to sit and smoke with his son. So I'm pretty sure that he knew that my brother was selling weed, growing weed, or whatever else was going on. But the lawyer said, that's your best bet. Your husband's gone now. Your son needs to just say he didn't know anything and it was all his dad's. And that's the only way he's going to beat this case. So my mom left an 18-year-old or soon-to-be 18-year-old kid in a five-bedroom home in the middle of nowhere in Kentucky to just figure it out. That was her stepson. He wanted to stay. He didn't want to go back to Chicago. So she gave him everything and left him there. She took her five kids, went back to Chicago, and we went to live with my oldest sister, which, remember, was her friend in high school. I would say within months, she was out of control. Her drug addiction was such that she was probably getting high every day. And by this time, I remember maybe being in fifth or sixth grade. And I remember that it was a school that I went to for whatever reason, I don't know if the schools were so crowded in Chicago. I just remember having to get up at five o'clock in the morning and take three CTA buses to school. That's how far away my school was. I decided this is just too much trouble. So I stopped going to school. My brother stopped going to school. My older sister was almost 18 at this point. My mom somehow went to her old neighborhood in Humboldt Park and found her boyfriend from high school, which at this time is a full-blown alcoholic and drug addict himself. So she has now a boyfriend who is providing the drugs for her. So sometimes she would come home and sometimes she wouldn't. And thank God we had my oldest sister and she lived 
in an apartment with her two kids and her family. There was a lot of us in that one apartment. But we had somewhere to stay and we had food to eat every day. So we were thankful for the support that we did have. Eventually, my brother would just start getting in trouble. We all hung out with the wrong crowd. Plenty of times where we were involved in things that we could have been dead any day. Gang associations, gunshots, drug dealing, it was bad. And my sister knew that it wasn't something that she could continue to take care of her family and all of us all in a three-bedroom apartment. It just wasn't realistic. So she got together with the rest of the family and said, hey, we're going to have to do something. This isn't working. And they decided to take my mom to court and take us legally from her because of her situation. Now, the problem was that no one in the family could take five children. So what do you do? You split them up. So I want to say my aunt, my dad's sister, took my little brother. One of my sisters took my little sister. My older sister was almost 18, so they decided that she could stay there until she was 18, and then she would have to get her own place. My brother went with my mother's sister, so my uncle, and somehow I was left to go with my sister that was a police officer. And maybe it was because she had a daughter, but I always wondered, why would they not put my brother with the police officer? He obviously needs to be with the police officer more than anybody. But they didn't. I was the chosen one to go with the police officer. So we were all split up. Eventually, my brother... It didn't work out with him being with my uncle. My uncle lived out in the suburbs, and I think by that time, he was already too far gone. He was already smoking weed, gangbanging. My uncle could not really control him at this point, so they sent him with another one of my sisters. That didn't work out. Then they sent him back to Kentucky to live with my older brother. That was a mess because by that time, my older brother was already far into his own life of crime and was definitely not the role model for my younger brother. So my brother ended up going into a juvenile home really a boys camp in Kentucky and 
that was our biggest fear that he would eventually end up in a place like that and then go to jail. But that was really the story that everybody had for all of my mother's kids, that we would all end up just like her, that we would have children live in the projects, be on drugs, and or go to jail. That was the story that was written for all of us. And I think we all felt that. When my brother went into the juvenile home, I remember that I was the only one that wrote him. Because as I said, I always felt responsible for him. When we used to hang out in the streets and I knew he was going to do something stupid or do something dangerous, I always made sure that I went with him, even though I knew it was dangerous. But whatever happened, at least I could go and tell someone what happened. I don't know what I was thinking. I just knew that I had to look out for him. So I remember writing him letters and... If I had those letters to read today, I think I was a pretty wise seventh grader, eighth grader, ninth grader. I did everything I could to encourage him with my words, to pray for him, to motivate him, to give him a glimpse of another life that he can make after that. And I was thankful. I lived with my sister that was a police officer at that time. And She welcomed me in her home. I felt like I was in a stranger's home because she was like the black sheep of the family. Because she was a police officer, she really didn't come around a lot. The family business was somewhat of a, it was a conflict of interest for what she did. So I felt like I didn't really know her. I felt like she was a stranger. When I moved in with her, We started off on a real rough patch because she took my red lipstick, my black eyeliner, and my pack of cigarettes. That was going to be problematic for me. Unfortunately, I was only in the seventh grade. She had a right to take those things from me. She bought me new clothes because my clothes, she said, were not appropriate. I never sat at a table and ate dinner and talked about how was my day at school. So for a while, I felt really uncomfortable because remember, most of the time she was also in her uniform with a gun on her hip. That was usually not when I did my best talking. It was hard. But one thing is for sure, there were seeds planted at that time that I'll be forever grateful for. This is somewhat normal of a household. She had a daughter at the time and her daughter was younger. So eventually it was a welcoming home for me. But the spirit of rebellion still sat deep in my soul and I acted out. I got in trouble in school. I still smoked cigarettes. I smoked weed. I drank every time I had the chance. 
I would gather any girls that would follow me and come up with just crazy stuff to do and find myself in trouble every time. Eventually, I would start dating older guys, start getting involved with the gangs around my sister's house. Until the day I found myself at the doctor with the nurse reporting those words that I'll never forget, and that is, you're pregnant. Now, I'm in eighth grade, maybe going into ninth grade, maybe even, and I can't even recall, I should know this, but I blocked so many things out. And as I began the journey of telling my story, I'm amazed on how many things that I remember but I don't remember. My sister told me that I had a choice to make. And I remember telling her as she was explaining what my options were that I had no options. I had one choice and I had to get an abortion and that was it. And she had to help me out. She said, okay. She said, we'll never talk about this again. You will never tell anyone. I will never tell anyone. We'll forget this ever happened. I said, okay, sounds good to me. Less than a month later, I decided that I just didn't want to be there anymore. There were too many rules. And I was grown. Why do I have to keep abiding by these rules when I already know what I need to do? So I told my sister that I decided that I did not want to live with her anymore. And she said, where are you going to go? I said, I'm going to go to Kentucky with my brothers. Now, by this time, my oldest brother has now moved into the house in Kentucky with my other two brothers. He has a wife that he's trying to get off of heroin from Chicago. And he decides that Kentucky, like John Lane had figured out, was the best place to get someone out of the west side of Chicago. I had no idea what I was stepping into. My sister said, if you don't want to be here, I won't make you stay. If you want to leave and you want to be grown and you think you can take care of yourself, there's the door. I said, great. I packed up my stuff and I left to Kentucky. Thank you for tuning in to another insightful episode of Lead Like a Girl. We hope you found today's podcast valuable. If you enjoyed our podcast, please consider subscribing and leaving a review on your preferred platform. Your feedback is crucial in helping us continue to provide high quality content. If you found the content inspiring, we would like to encourage you to share this podcast with your network. 
Stay tuned for more inspiring stories and leadership insights on Lead Like a Girl. Until next time, lead with passion and purpose.